Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, quick note before this episode begins, something to announce today. This spring, Canada is turning 150 years old. That's not what I have to announce today. What I want to tell you is that this spring, when Canada turns 150 years old, a bunch of patriotism is going to be rammed down your throat, and we have the antidote. As you may know, we have a book of dick jokes about the prime ministers of Canada coming out, also other content included, the Canada Land Guide to Canada, and in honor of our stunning achievement, I will be touring this great land of ours. I will be doing a world tour of Canada. Will this be a book signing? No, this is not a book signing. This is a show, people. This is in theaters across Canada. I will be on stage delivering stories and cartoons, music, uh, video, perhaps interpretive dance, who can say, through which I will be shedding light on the things that are actually interesting about Canada our past, our present, our future, the things that are actually interesting, most of which are awful. Discover the shocking truth about the country in which you live. This May, I will be in Vancouver, in Victoria, in Calgary, in Saskatoon, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Montreal, I guess Toronto, Hamilton, London, Kingston, nowhere on the East Coast. Why? I don't know. The Canada Land World Tour of Canada. Tickets have just gone on sale. Some of these venues are not so big. Buy your tickets now. Go to canadalandshow.com slash book tour. Site just went up. Check it out. Paul McLeod. Hello. Are you, are you joining us from a phone booth uh, at uh, the press gallery at the United States Congress? Yeah, I'm just outside the House of Representatives right now in the press gallery that overlooks the House. 
Thank you for finding the time. I know things are a little bit interesting and busy there. Pretty annoyed. You never you never showed up for my New Year's Eve party. You were a no-show for my birthday brunch. I thought we were going to go see Fifty Shades Darker last weekend, and you didn't show up, so fine, fine. Jesse, let's just always hang out on your terms. I, I know, and I, I cheated and binged Stranger Things without you. I apologize. But we're going to make up for it today. We, we're going to talk today, Paul. Prime Minister Joe Trudeau's visit to Washington. Heard of him. We are going to talk about the great Syrian refugee crime cover-up that was, in fact, reported nationally. And uh, we're going to talk about something that I like to call fake news schmake schmooze. Welcome uh, back to Candle and Shortcuts. Today's episode of Candle and Shortcuts is brought to you by Ruth Burns, Paul Briggs, Kim Nenninger, Karen Ferguson, Laura Dunn, Jonathan, Corey Scott, and Steve Goldblum. Steve, why did you decide to be awesome? Because you keep me company as I inch along the freeways in Los Angeles, and because you seem like a very difficult and oppositional person who makes Canadian legacy media crazy, and I like that. Okay, Paul, I know that you guys at BuzzFeed and in the rest of the press were completely distracted during Trudeau's visit to Washington, reporting on NAFTA and all this policy stuff. But here at Canada Land, we have an eye for the real story. And not a lot of people caught this. And it was, in fact, hard to even find a photo. But there was something about that handshake. Oh, the handshake. Something Forgot about all about handshake. it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. A lot of people missed this. Yeah. What the fuck, man? How did that handshake... Th- that was the story. That was the story. As far as I could tell, that was what the, the dominated, like if there was some other story, it was like 1% of the story. Okay, sure. On one hand, while I can get that it seems a little bit ridiculous that uh, a completely typical handshake was the dominant feature of two world leaders coming together, do you realize how much of a relief that is for some of us? I had my screaming trade war headlines teed up and ready to go. I mean, anytime Donald Trump is involved, you never know what is going to happen or what craziness is going to come out of it. So, of course, leave it to trustworthy Canada to come in and make things really mundane and kind of boring and kind of silly. And, yeah, so we end up talking about a handshake. It, there could, it could have gone a lot worse. You know, forget about kudos. Like, Globe and Mail and Post Media have, have declared the, the trip a triumph. A triumph of boredom. A triumph because nothing happened. A triumph because we didn't make Trump mad. We didn't offend him in any way. And we even went further... And like Trudeau sprinkled a little progressive fairy dust onto Trump by staging this, uh, I don't know, it seemed like a pretty hastily thrown together female entrepreneurs initiative. I'm not trying to denigrate that as a worthy initiative, but this particular attempt felt much more symbolic than substantive to me. These kind of things are typical. They do they announce these kind of initiatives all, all the time when politicians want to have some sort of what, what we call announceable uh, at the end of a meeting. So I, I, again, not to denigrate the cause, but yeah, absolutely. Of course, it was just a, something that was whipped together at the last minute. That's not unusual, yeah. And now we are celebrating Trudeau for an absence of anything happening. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like he is there to represent Canada's interests. And it's not as if Canada's interests in this new administration aren't like in question. Like there aren't some, you know, it it seems like a lot of pundits, the only thing that could have happened is bad stuff if we anger Trump, not anything that we wanted, wanted to say or wanted to achieve. It was just about, okay, we kept the peace, status quo. It's not going to be a massive trade war or some huge propaganda fight. So of course, when you're covering any story, in particular a story like this, 
everything tends to get a little bit overblown. It either has to be a tense confrontation or a you know a wonderful uh, diplomatic feat. When of course it could just be fairly typical in the end. The interesting thing here is kind of the, to me is the strategic side. I mean, Justin Trudeau represents a base of people that just loathe Trump and pretty much everything Trump is doing, and he's trying to walk this tight wire act between trying to, I don't want to say appease Trump, but get along with Trump and keep a friendly relationship while also trying to keep his distance enough to say we don't agree with what he's doing. And, I mean, I do have to hand it to them. Everything's gone according to plan so far. They got to go up and get Trump saying, you know, we're not worried about trade with Canada. And also you've got Trudeau sort of throwing shade on Twitter about the travel ban and things like that. So they've they've so far managed to walk this tightrope back. I don't think that's a incredible uh, feat of brilliance on the part of Trudeau's people, but I, I have to give them some credit. This is, whether you agree with it or not, the decision, the tactic they've decided on, and so far they're pulling it off. But yeah, it's completely valid to say, well, why isn't he standing up to Trump on things that, you know, he's diametrically opposed to philosophically? You don't you don't have to credit uh, Trudeau for for maintaining that appearance of standing up to Trump while in reality acquiescing completely and avoiding conflict. We did that. The press did that. That tweet that Trudeau put out in response to seemingly in response to the Muslim ban actually didn't mention the Muslim ban and had no policy implications at all. And that photo of Trudeau looking at Trump's hand as if it was a dead rat, as if he was sort of imperiously like, as if I'm going to shake your hand, that photo was a lie. Yeah, completely a misleading photo that uh, appeared to show a hostility or disgust on Trudeau's part that was not there. The video shows was clearly not. Yeah, and that was just purely us carrying that water for Trudeau, perpetuating this idea that Trudeau was some sort of uh, anti-Trump or is above Trump. The reality of it did not reflect that at all. Well, but let me me ask you this, because I'm actually not in a position to answer it. Was it Canadian media who pushed that so much? Because mostly what I saw was American and international media. I saw, I think it was The Guardian, for example, uh, had a whole thing like Trudeau's reaction to Trump is all of us. And, you know, there were a lot of jokes in American media. But was that was that portrayed in a straightforward manner in the Canadian media? Well, that's a great point. I, I, I think it was played. I mean, I, I mentioned the pundits who, who praised Trudeau for not thumbing his nose at Trump, but uh, your your news organization here in Canada, BuzzFeed Canada and others played that straight the same because we take our cues from the international media. I didn't do a close uh, like surgical analysis of who was the first to circulate that photo. I think what we're seeing here though is I'm not trying to make a distinction that we in Canada are forcing that narrative. I think that the world needs Trudeau to be the anti-Trump or wants it to be. The world's media hmm. is positioning Trudeau as such and the world doesn't really care what the truth is of Trudeau. I mean, he's an important symbolic figure and I think we here in Canada, the media and the population a lot of us are pretty eager to just like, you know, absorb and accept whatever uh, glow that that affords us. We like that, so we'll take it, whether it's true or not. Oh, I absolutely agree. He's he, the, the probably the thing Trudeau is best at is playing the part of this international liberal champion. And exactly, Canada is kind of cool with that because we deep down like the attention, and it plays to the inferiority complex that is at the heart of the Canadian identity. That he's been able to do it based on so little is kind of amazing. It's a sort of a self-winding doll, and I guess I sort of figured that out and just are letting it happen. You did say at one point that he acquiesced to Trump. I'm actually not sure he's acquiesced on any particular issue, but that's when I think it gets interesting, because eventually the rubber is going to hit the road. There's going to be something that Trump wants to do that directly involves Canada, not just our 
support or condemnation of it, but will have to be a part of it. And that's when he's going to actually have to make a choice. And that's when this sort of tight wire act uh, all falls apart and he's got to pick a side. That's a good point. And in fact, you know, I was sort of preparing for this conversation thinking to myself, well, what should have Trudeau said to Trump? And uh, I was vaguely aware of this story about, you know, American border guards being able to detain and do body searches on Canadians on Canadian soil. And I was about to say that Trudeau should have should have pushed back on that. But then I finished reading that story and realized that that was actually a liberal party uh, piece of policy that they're pushing. So uh, I don't think he could have asked for any 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 kind of consideration on his own policy. Look, Paul, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's true. Like, maybe it's not Justin Trudeau's job to denounce Trump on moral grounds for being a bad person or or even, like, whatever Trudeau's uh, self-professed feminism. Maybe it's not his job to denounce him for his, like, self-admitted sexual assaults. It's closer to Trudeau's job to condemn Trump for, like, explicitly what Trump calls his Muslim ban, which does have impact on Canadians. But some people would say that, no, that wasn't his job. When does it become Trudeau's job? Like, when does that line, like, like how far does it have to go before it is Trudeau's job to make a, an explicit distinction between these two countries that, that is tantamount to a denunciation and has policy ramifications? Well, but he is he is ultimately a politician, and there's two ways to look at it. You can say that it's, it's his job to stand up for what he was elected on and what people might see as just basic human ideals but on the other hand his job is to represent canadians and if they are doing the calculus and they're saying look if we get into any kind of pissing match with donald trump this could harm canadian interests, canadian economy whatever then doesn't he that it isn't then incumbent on him to actually play nice and do what is best for the canadian people it's a completely subjective understanding of what his job is and also of course there's a political element he probably in some ways get a lot of praise and it would be very good for him politically if he came out swinging against Donald Trump. But then if Trump throws away NAFTA, then actually maybe he gets run out of office for looking incompetent. So on both sides of it, I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really murky situation. I can see why they took this sort of halfway position that they have. Paul, this is the time on our show where we take a moment to uh, note duly a couple of things that we feel should be duly noted. Uh, can you go first? Sure. I'm, I'm kind of doing, I'm cheating here. I'm, I'm sort of duly noting two things. It's kind of a, a shot chaser situation. Um, I wanted to mention a piece that I found funny in the Toronto Sun by Anthony Fury called Liberals Considering Changes to Controversial Islamophobia Motion. The source that they are considering changes is a conservative MP who has asked them to change it. So it's a it's a fairly nonsensical lead. But I just wanted to highlight what I think is really interesting about this whole issue, uh, this M103 issue, which if, if anyone is, is unaware, is a completely manufactured controversy about a motion to essentially condemn Islamophobia and calls on the government to look into ways it can you know, halt Islamophobia and gather some stats. It is a completely typical run-of-the-mill motion. Motions are non-binding. They have no practical effect. They are passed through the House of Commons all the time. But this one has become a media fixation for some people on the right, and they are saying that it's going to be the vehicle to introduce uh, a suppression of free speech, a suppression of criticism of uh, critics of Islam. And then when you really go far into it, it's somehow the back door that we're going to get Sharia law. What I found interesting about 
the Fury piece is that is that it, you know he's not like the Rebel where you, you can just be completely detached from reality and just make up whatever you want. There's still some adults at the Sun, so he's got to kind of work this in somehow in a way that at least plausibly makes sense. And that to me is a bit more interesting because his argument is, okay, yes, this motion is non-binding, but it would call for a committee study, which is the first step to legislation, which would lead to this, which is equally nonsense. The motion's non-binding. If the, even if there was a committee study, that is not the first step to legislation. Committee studies things all the time, and their reports are also equally non-binding. Like there was just there was just nothing here. This is from a backbench MP, not a cabinet minister, let alone the PMO. But it's interesting to see how this is being twisted and how this is being created. And it's having an incredibly interesting effect, I think, on politics, because now you've got conservative leadership candidates who are coming out and denouncing this, they're fundraising off of it, they're they're making a big show out of opposing it. And it's it's just fascinating how much this this small, I, I think relatively small section of the right of the right wing in Canada uh, is getting louder and louder and having more of an impact on the, one the mainstream political discourse and two certainly the mainstream discourse in the Conservative Party. And as the chaser to that, I just wanted to also plug my friend and colleague uh, Ishmael Darrow, who did a really good debunk on the whole M103 issue called "People Are Falsely Claiming That Canada Is About to Make It Illegal to Criticize Islam." So, if you want to get like a bit of a context, go read Ishmael's piece. Duly noted. I also need to mention those people at the Rebel, and I think it's just going to be something that is going to happen uh, more and more on this show because you know we have to learn from what we saw happen with Breitbart that ignoring this in the hopes that it goes away. Actually, if you ignore it and don't check any of the things that get said and don't push up against any of them, it festers, it grows, and it it actually helps these completely detached from truth corners of discourse gain a lot of uh, influence. And as you say, it it very quickly becomes a political thing when the conservative party in Canada, you know, you can't ignore that they have a wonderful machinery of reaching a lot of people who care about these little fringe issues. And if it's all based on just lies or awfulness and nobody ever bothered to say otherwise, that's a problem. So all of which is a long-winded way of saying that in the shadow of our of our ignorance of us just like ignoring them they're now dabbling with blackface uh, Gavin McInnes just did a blackface video for the rebel and uh, Lauren Southern and Faith Goldie have taken to calling uh, members of the anti-fascist group Antifa and Antifa anti-fascist they call themselves Antifa uh, Lauren Southern calls them anti-faggots and Faith Goldie called them anti-fags which, I mean, doesn't even make rhetorical sense because if you're anti-fag, you're against gay people and these are progressive left people who are against fascists and they're on the other side. Anyhow, it doesn't matter because they're not using fags that way. They're using it the way a fifth grader calls somebody else a fag. They're anti-fags, they're not anti-fascists. And so what I'm noticing is that, you know, we have, it's not about laws that make it so that you can't say faggot, laws that make it illegal to go into blackface uh, though uh, there something sort of like that exists in Canada. I'm not even speaking with reference to that. Usually what stops people from doing that is shame that we actually have like just societal standards of what is awful and you would be ashamed. And I'm even, you know, guilty of it myself in that, like, I'll say for purposes of referencing what they said, I'll say she's calling them anti-faggots. But if it were the N word, I would say the N word, even though I feel silly saying the N word, because that 
we have we have we have a system of shame that we need whereby i can't say the actual n word anymore and i probably it, it's okay that i can't say that i mean i can say it but i would be ashamed to yeah it's it's human basic human decency kind of compels you to not want to hurt the people around you and say something that might uh, whether you intend it or not, really make someone feel like shit. And that's like a, yeah. Basic well, I, human I wish it were a basic human instinct because if you think about it, you don't want to say the N word because it's going to make somebody feel terrible. But most people avoid it just because they know that that's a, a no go word that's going to make you feel ashamed. And I'm still using some terminology that hopefully in 10 years people will be ashamed because I'm not being thoughtful about, well, why is that word any more or less hurtful or harmful than the other? Most people are not going to think it through. They need a code of shame. And what we're seeing from the I think is a systematic assault on those standards of what is considered awful, just standards of decency, standards of how we talk to each other and about each other. I mean, it is about freedom. They're right. It is freedom of speech. It is freedom to be awful without feeling ashamed. And that's not something that I have any proposal for legislation about, but I want to hold that wall, hold that line. They should fucking feel ashamed. Gavin McInnes should feel ashamed for appearing in blackface and arguing ridiculous. I mean, his argument is that only white people think blackface is racist and that blackface was actually originally a means of celebrating wonderful black people. It wasn't just a racist thing. So those are lies. And built on those lies is his assertion that we should be allowed to wear blackface and perform in blackface. That's wrong. And he's disgusting and he should be ashamed. Can I add one thing about the Gavin McInnes thing? Sure. I watched his uh, video and it was it was inspired by this new Netflix show, Dear White People. And he was very angry about this 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 trailer actually for this this show dear white people and which is based on a movie and i had never seen it so I, I just looked up the plot out of curiosity and it is a satire about a woman in college who starts a radio show called dear white people and white people get so angry and offended that they wear blackface so i just want to give kudos to the screenwriters of that movie because rarely do satirists see their storytelling acted out quite so literally after that's released. So I guess good for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, you know, like these satires, uh, you know, pushing things into the extreme to make a point. How do you do it when reality is just beyond anything you could, you could put into a work of satire? Yeah. I mean, people like McInnes and Ezra, they like, they are, they are the Ozzy Osbourne biting the head off a bat at a certain level. Like they are just trying to do whatever they can to shock and defend and um, there's money in that. I suppose so. And I certainly don't want to be, you know, the, uh, the mothers of America foundation uh, holding a rally against Ozzy Osbourne. So it's always the question of like, do we signal boost this by complaining about it? I guess I just feel like, fuck it. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to point it out every time. I, I'm with you for that. I we would go after Ezra over the years about things and people, I always got that response of why, why are you engaging him? This is what he wants. This is, you're playing into his hand. And it's like, no, the, 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 the you know, the quote unquote alt-right is doing just fine, whether or not mainstream media pays attention to them or engages them. Uh, it's okay to, to push back and call them out on these things because, uh, you know, their, their life is not dependent on us engaging with them. They're still going to be there, there doing this. I think it's totally fair. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. 
It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. We're going to take a moment right now to thank our sponsor today, a company called Tunnel Bear. Paul, you must travel a lot for work. Yeah, constantly. I don't know what your OPSEC is. I don't know what what kind of security tools you're using. Maybe using some fancy journalist security. But for most people's purposes, checking their bank account, dealing with email, things like that, having just like a, a very simple but highly effective secure way to surf the internet is uh, a useful tool and maybe even something that's going to save you tons of money and a lot of hassle. So if you use public Wi-Fi when you're at a coffee shop, at a hotel, in an airport, consider using TunnelBear. It is handy in terms of securing your connection to protect your privacy. When TunnelBear is on, your internet connection is totally encrypted, your IP address is hidden, your online activity is kept private from your internet provider, from advertisers, from hackers, from other snoops. TunnelBear has a top-rated privacy policy and does not log the user activity of its own users. And you can also tunnel to 20 different countries and use the internet as if you're coming from that country. You can try this for free, people. 500 megs per month of free bandwidth and no credit card is required. To get your bear, just visit tunnelbear.com slash CanadaLand. Okay, so I want to talk briefly about this guy who was charged in Edmonton. He, uh was charged with touching six teenage girls in a swimming pool at the West Edmonton Mall. And this was reported as a crime, as crimes often are, and included in the original story. I read the first story that the CBC put out. They mentioned towards the end of this news report that the guy charged is a Syrian refugee. So I'm really confused why there's this outrage spreading, again, through the online right. And not just in Canada, like the border here is erased and now American alt-right people are getting enraged about what's happening in Canada. And the fear is, the suspicion is, or the, the, the story is, that there is an attempt to suppress from the media the fact that the man charged was a Syrian refugee. I don't know where we can lay responsibility for this because there, there is something that the CBC did wrong here. There is. And 
you know, you've got a reporter who's very diligent about the exact language used in the piece. And then, you know, you usually have an editor who is trying to balance being exacting in language with being compelling when it comes to writing the headline. But now there's a new layer. There's some kind of like content hustler who has to tweet these news stories because CBC is fighting with BuzzFeed and everybody else. They've decided that they want to pimp their content on social media to get those clicks. So a CBC tweet that was hustling this headline read, when a refugee faces criminal charges, should the public be told? which is actually a question that is posited by a source in that story who's arguing that the public shouldn't be told. But CBC actually made a decision that the public should be told. It was only because the CBC asked that question in a tweet and nobody who was mad about this bothered to click through. The version of this that got circulated is, oh, the CBC is considering suppressing the news of any refugees involved in sexual assaults, which has the inverse, it has the effect of actually perpetuating the idea that this is some sort of epidemic. That, that was that was exactly my reaction when I saw that tweet. I, I thought, oh my God, are we a news agency debating whether to hide information from the public? And then, yeah, you read the actual story and the story wasn't really about that at all. It doesn't appear to be any sign that CBC was actually having this deep debate over hiding this. Well, that would seem to suggest that the mistake here was in that unfortunate tweet about the story, which, you know, that you, you could forgive somebody for, for jumping to that conclusion. I mean, that is, I guess, the conclusion. Like, you know, CBC is, is like, the, we're, we're asking this editorial question. You know, you know I, I'm, I'm happy to kind of consider any question. And we had a little debate around the office. Okay, well, should they have mentioned that he's a Syrian refugee? And, you know, I, I feel like, come on, this is one of the news stories of the year, the Syrian refugees coming to Canada. How are they going to do? Are they going to thrive? All the, are the cultures going to come up against each other in some way? Or is it going to be a wonderful story? Like, the idea that we wouldn't follow that through is ridiculous to me. And yet, it was argued back at me, like, yeah, but if you're going to pluck out every oh, yeah. time something bad happens, that suggests there's a larger problem. We don't know that there is one. So, I, I, I don't know. I can engage in that a little bit. But the fact, like, they, they did mention it's a Syrian refugee. Yeah, I mean, it's about responsibly covering it. I mean, you can not have a fear-mongering headline that blows things up proportion while still accurately covering these things. The moment we decide as an industry to suppress or hide information about criminal acts because of who is committing them, then we have become exactly the caricature that the alt-right paints of the mainstream media. I would, I would have a major, major problem with an editorial decision being being made along those lines. But from the sounds of it, it, the CBC, the actual reporting of it was responsible. I mean, they did not blare this out as painting all Syrian refugees. It was mentioned as part of the story. And whether we like it or not, that narrative is going to be seized by people who have an agenda. But again, people like, keep going back to the rebel, but people like the rebel um, are also not above just uh, completely distorting non-stories. And so that's going to be out there anyway. And it, it sucks when something you write gets uh, construed politically and uh, and just like takes on a life of its own. All you can really do, though, is try to report responsibly. You can't react to that by just saying, I'm going to keep this from the public. That's not our job. I'm you, not going to give you a can question. You can you stay categorical? You are fake news. Sir, go ahead. Can you fake news that's being released by some foreign government. One person's fake news is another person's news. I see being called fake news as the equivalent of 
the N-word for journalists. And now the man behind some of the most viral fake news articles of the past few years is taking credit for Donald Trump's victory. So your your colleague, I don't know if your boss, maybe still Craig Silverman, I, I knew him when we were in university at the same time in Montreal and would have voted him uh, least likely to influence global geopolitics. But uh, shows what I know. He led, you know, he broke this amazing story that was a very specific story about these content mills, these kids in Macedonia who were just absolutely fabricating completely fake stories, putting them out Mm -hmm. in formats that looked very much like real news outlets and uh, doing that specifically to make money. And that that arguably had a big impact, uh, certainly in the discourse during the U.S. election. And and some people would say that it actually moved votes to Trump. And some people, though I don't think you could really back it up, would say that it was decisive. All of that is a, a distant memory like three months ago, because now fake news means whatever anybody wants it to mean. I mean, we've seen the term used, I think Trump said, negative polls are fake news. Like any poll that says that I am not good is is a lie, is, is fake news. But, you know, everybody's guilty of this at this point. It, it, it's not like we can just put that on. Like it, it is just, has it become meaningless? Well, yeah. I mean, people, people do forget that what Craig was reporting about was the specific thing of this industry that had cropped up of people writing these sensational stories designed to be shared on Facebook. So there'd be some sites set up for the right and some set up for the left. And they were just, they would just play into your, your, your deepest conservative or liberal fantasies or conspiracies. And they would spread like wildfire. And one of the things Craig and his uh, team showed were that by the end of the American election, fake news stories were being shared more on Facebook than actual news stories. Fake news had surpassed it. I mean, it was just a lucrative industry. And, and and at the time, the term had a very specific meaning of people who are literally making up, deliberately making up news to make profit off of these untrue fake news sites. But of course, a, a term as juicy like that is never going to be unsullied for long. And I first started noticing it on the, the sort of bright part side of the spectrum where they, I think, for reasons of wanting to maintain, that, fearing that that term would be used against them, started immediately delegitimizing it and using it against the mainstream media. And then before long, everyone was just using it, as you say, for uh, anything they disagree with. And it's become a just a, a throwaway term that is essentially meaningless. But it's worth, it's worth noting that it briefly did have a real impact. I mean, Facebook made changes to how news is shared because of they they just had been exposed for sitting by and letting this weed grow completely out of control and not doing anything about it but yeah now it's just i don't think there was any there's any saving the term it was inevitable that this is this was going to happen yeah it's not to suggest that that story was not a blockbuster and and had all kinds of positive implications when people finally dealt with it because of the work that craig and others did you know but now it's it's not even just used like by maniacs like ed greenspawn former editor-in-chief of the globe and mail writing this policy paper asking for a $400 million a year news bailout. And I think he cites like over a dozen times, why do we need the government to bail out the news industry in Canada? Because of all that fake news. Fake news doesn't exist in Canada, the kind that Craig was chronicling. Those guys actually explicitly tried to do Trudeau-based fake news and it didn't make enough money. We don't have enough clicks here for that to be lucrative. So it's just... It's just like a, an imaginary uh, entity. It's just like a weapon you can kind of throw for whatever purpose, and it's it's got currency, maybe for another 40 seconds. I noticed that Craig tried to rescue it, tried to put the genie back in the bottle and said, okay, 
from from the guy who brought you fake news, here is now a classification system of what actually fake news really is, because this is getting out of control. He said it's got to be 100% false. It has to be knowingly created as false. And it has to have an economic motive. And as noble as, as Craig's intentions were in trying to like control what gets called fake news, I have a feeling that the world will not take his commands on, on this. You think he finally, finally reached the limits of his power? <laughs> I guess it was bound to happen eventually. Yeah, well, but I mean, I think it's just, as soon as it started, I said, okay, I know exactly where this is going. There's no putting the back, this back. Because... Really, it's just a, an extension of how people talk about media anyway. I mean, I, you know, I have this joke that reporters can do good, news outlets can do good, media can only do bad, because no one ever talks about the media in a positive way. If a huge story is broken, the reporter gets the credit. Anytime you hear a sentence beginning with the media, it's only going to be something negative. So it's already just people's tendencies to dismiss the news media as uh, uh, not credible based on anything something one tv reporter somewhere says and this is just a catchier way to say it so just got to go along for the ride i mean i as someone who works for uh, a news outlet that the president called a failing pile of garbage fake news almost seems kind of quaint by comparison <laughs> aspiring to fake news from your failing pile of garbage <laughs> paul oh that would make a good t-shirt <laughs> thank you so much yeah yeah good talking with you That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope everybody enjoyed it. You can email me whenever you want. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. You can find us on Twitter at Canada Land. Paul, where can people find you? Uh, you can find my reporting on BuzzFeed News. And of course, I am at Twitter at Justin Arling. <laughs> Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash Canada Land. We just announced the new hosts of Canada Land Commons. Our politics show is back. Check out our website to hear the announcement of who those hosts are. We are very excited about the return of this show. I make this show with Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.